It's time for Getting Down to Business with Mark Mondo. This new show discusses trends, technology, and tactics to help the listener learn more about improving sales, saving money, and fulfilling a personal mission through entrepreneurship. Welcome to Getting Down to Business with Mark Mondo on WVLP 103.1 FM. I'm your host, Mark Mondo. We're on the air in Valparaiso, Indiana, and you can listen to us streaming on the website at wvlp.org or use the TuneIn app on your mobile device and look for WVLP. 103.1 FM WVLP is a local nonprofit radio station based in Valparaiso, Indiana. This show, like many of the shows on WVLP, are made possible by the generosity of donors and underwriters. We accept donations at WVLP.org. Simply click on the support tab and make a one-time donation or sustained pledge to WVLP. All donations are tax deductible. Underwriters are made up of businesses and organizations that support the shows on WVLP. Getting down to business with Mark Mondo would like to thank Holmes by Hortensia, a Coldwell Banker affiliate in Porter County, Indiana, for their support. Holmes by Hortensia has served the region's residential real estate needs in Indiana for over 12 years. Contact Hortensia Moreno or Tiffany Zorio at 219-249-5118 or visit HolmesbyHortensia.com. Holmes by Hortensia, habla español. Welcome to today's show, where I want to share real stories of entrepreneurial success. This is the real deal, and putting these guys on the air was one of the first ideas that came to mind when I started this show. There are no platitudes here. They didn't invent some app that got unicorn funding from Silicon Valley. No, they aren't YouTube stars that found dumb luck by shooting unboxing videos or watching reaction videos to Minecraft. This is old school sales selling something that really hasn't changed all that much in the last 100 years. We're going to talk to two guys who succeed in commercial real estate without being trust fund babies. They'll share what works for them and demonstrate that if you study hard to pass an exam, learn how to sell, and take care of your clients, you will succeed. This is part two of a two-part series. We simply ran out of time to get two good stories in the last hour. So let's get the second part done today. So let me introduce everybody. To my side is my brother, Matt Mondo. He calls the Florida Treasure Coast home since 2019 to start a new career in commercial real estate. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me back. And to my other side is his colleague, Connor Mackin. He works with Matt as well. He's been a commercial real estate since 2021. Let's welcome Connor. Glad to be back. And to my third side is my co-host, the producer, the star soprano, and my wife, Mrs. Cynthia Zimmerman. Glad to be back for part two. All right, let's get into it. 
I'm going to let you talk about your professional biography before going into commercial real estate. What did you do in Chicago? Well, I guess uh, professionally speaking, a little little less uh, um, dramatic than than Connor's journey at that point. I guess mine kind of more focuses around uh, on the professional side. So basically, call it uh, the mid '90s. You know, close to 30 years ago now, if we can all believe that. Uh, I started out in in technology, mainly uh, computer networking. You know, for those uh, listeners, remember this was the area where or the era where uh, Microsoft Network started and, you know, people had computer networks. It was the big boom of technology and people were getting personal computers with Windows 95 and the internet, things like that. So effectively, that uh, was kind of where I started my professional career. I had kind of a knack for technology. You know, even being young, I could see like, okay, this is going to be part of people's uh, livelihood at this point to become more mainstream and both for business and people. So it was a good area to, you know, I figured I could start with, I understood it, and it was it was booming at that point. So you went in for the necessary skill set, learned how to do all the setups and this and that, that went with it, and, uh, you know, started with a, you know, being very young, a professional career into it as well. Uh, you know, from, a, from a, I guess, a professional work standpoint, too, I was able to get into a company right away and, uh, you know, start off that path. So this sounds like you really didn't wake up one day and said, I want to be in real estate. I mean, our backstory in our family is our dad was really good at technology. He was really out there with the vision. He was in the PC industry in the mid 80s. He was selling PCs to big retail stores. Uh, He worked with CDW, uh, a lot of commercial accounts, some retail stores that are no longer here today. I mean, the computers you look back in those 80 retro videos on YouTube and they're big, awful looking things. And they were selling, you know, to today's equivalent of $3,000, $4,000 at a pop. And they couldn't make them fast enough. And I think our, our dad was really influential in getting us into the tech world. Right. You know, and then, uh, you know, a brief family history, too, is that uh, our, our parents had started a company that was uh, involved in what was called digital printing. And this was a very, very new thing. Uh, The the 15 second history is that printing was done with what they called offset, which was like big metal plates with ink on it that would create copies of something over and over. This digital printing revolution allowed somebody with a digital file, like maybe a drawing file that they made in a CAD program to be able to print out one copy on the fly. And then the next print could be the next copy on the fly because it was all digital. Huge stuff. We take it for granted today, but back in the mid-80s, this was just mind-blowing that you could do something like that, which carried our technology You know, a decade later when I started in the computer networking side that not only could we do stuff like this digitally, but we had these amazing computer networks that allowed us to transfer files from one computer to another without a disk drive. I mean... This again, you know, we're looking back 30 years now, but you know, it was amazing things when we were younger. Now it's just like passe, like, oh, of course, how could you not do that? Well, we, you know, wasn't uh, not only mainstream, was it wasn't mature, it wasn't mainstream. So we were always on the cutting edge of it. It was interesting. People enjoyed it. It was obviously a high level of expense too for a company or a person. So kind of being involved with that, you know, early on when it wasn't uh, where you could just, you know, you could pick up anything now, you know, you could, you could get a, a cell phone and a vending machine at 7-Eleven now. I mean, it's just like, so, you know, <laughs> passe, but back then it was incredible. Started off on the, on the technology side. It was enjoyable. It was a growth area. 
I did legitimately enjoy it for a number of years. But, you know, fast forward about, you know, roughly a decade, there was an interlude where I, you know, I'll, I'll touch on it later, but worked for a robotics manufacturer after 9-11. Again, high technology area. I started grasping into the sales side of things too. And I'm like, you know what? I kind of like, never thought I'd like sales personally, but it turned out I liked, uh, it was enjoyable. It was a little more of a challenge than the technology. And, you know, to be fair, the technology was even kind of exceeding my level that was growing so fast that I couldn't even grasp onto it <laughs> in a timely manner that it was uh, almost overtaking me to some degrees. So after that stint, it seemed a better fit for me to go into sales because I could understand the sales side of it versus trying to keep up with the tech and understanding how I can understand its application, but implementation and support and all that started to kind of exceed my own personal grasp. Plus sales just seemed like a more exciting and lucrative career as well. So figure about uh, 10 years ago was my first big break into a major corporation. I worked for uh, Rico Americas, a worldwide corporation, and they made everything from cameras to, if, if anybody remembers the Nintendo Entertainment System when we were kids, they made the chips that went inside there. But most people from the consumer side know them as a copier company because it's like you walk into an office, there's a big copy machine, it says Rico on it. People... Uh, you know, in spite of everything else they did, people understood them as a copier company uh, foremost and, and, and front and center to their attention. So with that, I was in a good position because they were starting an IT sales side. And we were, myself and a group of six people were the, literally the first people to come in. And we were the forefront of becoming, uh, from Rico going to a copier company, which was in its like a dying market. You couldn't really do much more with the copier than what you had. So all you could do is, you know, repeat sales of new machines and of that like. But in the uh, interim, with the two is we started on the ITS side of things, and uh, which was the Rico IT services. And it was very cool. You know, we were kind of like, you know, respected to the point of this is where the company is going to be going to. And we hit the ground running. Uh, but, you know, and you're using your back skill. So you can actually speak networking, but you didn't have to actually plug into cables, but you could leverage your background. You yes. have a normal conversation. Yes, that's a very, very good way to put it. Like, you know, there's, I had other colleagues that were good sales reps and had zero idea about technology, didn't know what, you know, a router from a switch from anything else too. But having that, at least back technology, I could walk into a a business and recognize, oh, wow, these guys are on a pretty, very low end network that maybe they do need some help from from our service side that to upgrade, make things better. Here's your increase in productivity. Uh, so on and so forth. So I was able to leverage the background, uh, like you said, with that onto the sales side, you know, and, and go through the normal effort of making appointments and having discussions, but not having to be on that technical level. I went from having a deal, let's say with the IT manager over to the C-level suite, meaning, you know, that I can deal with the owner of the company or at least the high level executives to make a business case for it versus a technical case. So it was a nice- So in theory, it sounds pretty good. Yes. IT yep. is growing. The This is called, for those who don't know, the industry is called the MSP, Managed Service Provider World, where you would give a company X amount of dollars per month and they would just take care of it. Yes. And, and mainly the idea behind that was, uh, you know, again, 30 second history is most companies dealt with what they call break and fix, meaning, okay, I'm working on a computer. I can't connect to the printer. What do I do? Call the IT guy. They come in. They make a service call to your office, fix it, leave, send a bill, you know, rinse and repeat that. 
uh, where Market alluded to was, was this new service model called MSP, which is called Managed Service Provider, which means basically that your computer uh, in a way is connected to your help desk at all times, where if you have a problem, click on one button and somebody comes online and says, hi, you know, my name's Todd. Can I help you, you know, with your problem here? And they walk you through it, you know, through the magic of uh, like a go-to meeting or uh, like we're using Zoom or Zoom session or something like that to be able to remote in, help them with their problem, resolve it right away and move on with their day. So the goal of it too, was that you'd get instant service for less money. Seemed like a winning combination as well. It's like, it's be better, faster and cheaper <laughs> like everybody else wants. My personal experience, I had a twofold problem. Uh, one was just people's adoption of technology turned out to be much slower than anticipated. They could not break their mental, uh, their mental block, if you will, of people using break and fix software, like or, or break, break and fix approach to IT services. They just could not get past it. Even though it was more expensive, much slower, they were just caught in that regiment. Concurrently, I was uh, just caught in the pit of uh, the corporate structure. Meaning that, you know, Rico specifically was a very large corporation, over a hundred thousand employees with tremendous resources at hand. And I thought, oh, wow, this is great. They have so many resources. We could, you know, pretty much, you know, own the market at that point. But uh, there's a good brand. Isn't there a good brand behind that? Yes. Too? Yes. Rico's a respected worldwide brand on multiple, like I said, multiple facets of technology, you know, copiers being their, their most visible to the public eye. But with many other, you know, from chip manufacturing to camera manufacturing to which we were pioneering the services for IT. But what we quickly found out, to belabor the point, was they could not get out of their own way from a management standpoint. They had a very old way of thinking like, you know, like a copier salesman, for lack of a better term, and not how a technology person would approach a sale. So trying to clash those two heads where I'm coming in from an IT side, then the management comes in from a copier salesman mentality. It, it, it just didn't work. They couldn't clash. So in a matter of the, I was there for three years before they ultimately uh, cut 70% of the uh, workforce overnight. So you know, it was a hundred thousand person company, 70,000 people lost their jobs overnight because of massive restructuring because they just could not get out of their own way. But in that three years, mind you, I really enjoyed working with the company. I worked with great people, but I had nine bosses in three years. I had a new boss every four months. So it's like every time we would start, I'd get, you know, come to a complete stop. I would start coming to another complete stop because there'd be a new change every direction. And I'm thinking to myself this whole time, how am I going to professionally get off the ground if I have to keep doing a start, stop, start, stop, start, stop? Nothing works efficiently with the start stop mentality. And especially when you would change direction, not only direction, they would change entire product lines overnight. You know, for instance, I had a queue built up for a certain product. I come in on Monday morning, they said, we're not selling that anymore. And I said, well, wait a minute. I had a queue built up of, you know, 10 people that want it. And they'd say, well, tell them to buy something else. Like that, that's not how sales <laughs> works, guys. But they would just do that because the new boss didn't care. The new boss had a new quote it hit. So I would literally have to come back to my my clients and go, well, about that. And then they would just be like, you're, you're, you're full of it. Please leave. Like they, they didn't trust me. My trust, <laughs> my trust of the client was ultimately lost and I couldn't right. go back to those clients. So I'm thinking to myself going, how am I going to succeed when I have the direction of, you know, the misdirection of others, meaning a boss and another boss and a boss's boss. I mean, it, it does sound kind of like a joke with the movie, um, if anybody remembers on the listening side, Office Space, that the main character basically had seven bosses on his side. That was no joke with my with my organization as I had a, you know, 
a manager and he had a manager and a manager and manager, manager. By the time it got to the top, there were seven layers of people in between. Well, how am I supposed to get something done with seven people up top or uh, vice versa, seven, seven layers down, I'm being directed to do something else tomorrow when I was working on, you know, one direction for four months. It was and those just pipelines not- were long, right? I mean, those pipe- yes. pipelines were long and photocopiers, you're supposed to sell in like 30 minutes, right? You just go into a van, you show up, you, you pull a copier out of a van and you go into the guy's office and you demo right. it and you close it, right? Yep. Roll it in, just, you know, plug it in. It starts making copies and they say sold and they hand you a bag of money. I mean, that, that's how it all works, right? <laughs> but, you know, the, the, they didn't understand the IT cycle, uh, sales cycle, I should say. And, uh, you know, that's where I kind of started questioning going, well, wait a minute, how am I going to have a personal success if I have, you know, all these other people above me dictating where I go, how I do it, you know, with, with limited autonomy to be able to have success, not only for the organization, for, for myself, you know, personally from a uh, financial reward standpoint. That's where we're all in this for, right? We work and we want to have financial rewards so we can, you know, cultivate our families and have personal endeavors to pursue and things of that nature. But I was being heavily stalled by this until they let 70% of the company go. So, you know, hard lesson number one is that, man, somebody else, you know, steering your ship, you don't know where you're going to go and you could, they could crash on the rocks <laughs> at that point, um, which ultimately happened to myself. I forgot. I want to add one more story before we start segueing sure. into your journey to the Treasure Coast. Sure. You're still in Chicago and you love Chicago weather. Ah, true. Falser words can never be spoken. <laughs> so here we are. You've, you got the, I'll call it the internal pressure of corporate grinding you down. Yes. The one story that always sticks with me as the external pressure when a client can't understand your vision. Yes. And you have the business case that will save somebody thousands of dollars if they switch from the incumbent to you. There was a story, I will lead this and you will hit it. Yes. Where it was the phone provider, like the entire network went to its knees on a yes, like a 20 employee firm. This boss was paying 20 people to sit and do nothing. And you watch this business owner not change their incumbent. Yes. Tell us about that one. I think that was your, I think that was the end for you. But you you can tell, but I want you to, you have to tell that to everybody else. No, you're, you're absolutely right. That that was the story. I'll say that that uh, you know, like Connor had early, you know, earlier in his discussion, that was that was a turning point where my spirit was crushed within this uh, within this industry. Uh, effectively, to, to to balance off what Mark had said, uh, I had an opportunity to work with a a client in uh, actually in the western part of Illinois, not even the suburbs. It was across the state, so it was you know it was a multiple hour journey to go meet with them and so on and so forth. But they had a, a rather large manufacturing firm, at minimum 20 people in the facility at one time, up to 50, depending on you know what the workload was for the day. And I uh, happened to you know find out there was a problem, called up this uh, this client, which was their IT manager. And when I called him, he said, well, it'd be a great time to chat because we're currently down right now. And I'm like, oh, well, that's a, you sure you want to chat right now? I mean, it seems like you have a problem. He goes, nope, we can't do anything. Why don't we just talk? <laughs> I said, okay. So we had a discussion while it was going on. And the incumbent who was in there was the uh, a very small firm with like three people, and the owner it was the owner and two two other subordinates, and they were scrambling to try to fix this uh, major problem they had with their network. 
And you know, I ran the calculations and effectively cost the owner $50,000 that day that they were down uh, in business, lost productivity, so on and so forth. You know, just, just even the salaries alone were like $25,000 of that, plus all the production they could not get out the door, so on and so forth. So after the network is restored, you know, people calm down a little bit. I came in with a proposal and I was, you know, as aforementioned, cheaper, better, and faster. Like, I mean, it was, I could have gotten instant service, could have had somebody on site and done it for a lot lower price than what they were paying for on the break and fix model. And after going through the proposal, the owner basically just kind of shrugged the shoulders and said, eh, I'll give the guy another shot, like meeting the incumbent. And I'm like, really? After he brought your, your company, your company, you know, it wasn't like some major corporation. It was, a, you know, one owner that had multiple, dozens of employees. That, that IT guy basically brought your company to your knees and it wasn't enough for you to move and, and even investigate somebody else at that point. You know, I, I came in as a sales call. But he wouldn't, he wouldn't move, bottom line. And I'm like, wait a minute. I came in, I did everything right, you know, in the respect. Better, cheaper, faster. I, you know, I, I fell from the sky like a hero. Here's, here's how we can help you better. Just and like a Marvel boom, movie. Just like a Marvel movie. And it was met with a, eh. And I'm thinking to myself going, if I can't succeed with people's mentalities and changing the direction of their, you know, the way they view things, in regard to IT services, what am I doing here? Like this was the most dire situation and it was, it, it, their business was ruined and it still wasn't enough for them to, to not only try somebody else, they gave the guy yet another chance. And I'm thinking to myself going, if I, if this is the mentality of the buyers that I have with this, and mind you, this is going back, you know, a number of years still too, this is a little more mature in today's world in 2023. But, you know, looking at that going, I can't, even with an owner, you can't change their mentality when they're when their business is on fire and they can't see the light to, to maybe even make a change with this. What am I doing here? I mean, it doesn't make any sense for me <laughs> to continue along with this endeavor. So kind of a turning point to say, okay, what could be a better professional thing for me to do at that point? And then again, fast forward a little bit, you know, a few months later, they, they did the massive headcount slashing 70,000 people gone. And it was okay. What's my next journey? <laughs> right, because you're and you're too. sitting there going, "How are you going to, you know, how are you going to uh, take care of the uh, the family?" Correct. And, and mind you, at this point, you know, I'm married with with two younger kids, and you know, breadwinner in the house too. So it's like I've got to I got to hurry fast. You know, I don't have that luxury of well, I'll figure it out when I figure it out at that point. But you know, the the journey kind of started to to skirt toward this idea of something else. I mean, as Mark alluded to living in and growing up in Illinois, I, I just had no desire to be there anymore. I'm not a cold weather person, you know, just, just the whole you know, environment, if you will, short of family and friends was just not for me anymore at that point. I'd grown up there, lived there home my whole life and, and found really nothing, again, aside from family and friends, found nothing appealing about the area anymore, especially with this uh, you know job situation. So I wound up as my last major careers. I went to work for uh, everybody, you know, Xerox Corporation at that point too. Uh, they pursued me very hard. They wanted me to work for them. Uh, and and it was an, it was kind of an odd job, I guess. The, the best way to put it was, a, and I, I, I don't even want to make, make it sound funny, but I was a glorified toner salesman at that point. Uh, it was basically a program they had. Oh, and, I remember this. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Basically what it was is that you sold them kind of like, a, like a, again, a few years ago, a subscription service for toner. 
that they would use your, you know, use the Xerox service for toner, uh, kind of like on a subscription model that basically everything is now, you know, call toner plus because every subscription model is a plus thrown in front of it now from marketing, but they had hired me to do so. And I was kind of, they, they were very pursuant. They wanted me to work there. And again, I worked with some very good people, but the job kind of never made sense to me. And I was always kind of puzzling, like, why would they want to hire me for this? And my job was to only sell this. And then after about seven months, I kind of figured out that this program was not sustainable, meaning it worked great if you sold it with equipment. So let's say, so we bought a copier and then, oh, by the way, how about this toner plus program that goes with the two? Sounds great. Let's do it as an add-on because it makes sense at it. But as on its own to try to have it stand on its own two legs, it made no sense whatsoever. Like nobody was buying this outside of buying a copier. So I struggled for like four months of sales trying to find anybody and meetings and everything too. And I'm like, am I doing something wrong here? And it just, it never worked out. And of course I get called on the carpet and it's like, you're not doing a good job, so on and so forth. I'm like, but nobody wants this. You're <laughs> like, nobody, nobody <laughs> wants this. And and it was no joke. And you know, eventually uh, led to my absence from the company. And uh, again, another parting way was I walked out after I was uh, terminated from Xerox and I went to another coworker there kind of turned to me and said, I didn't have the heart to tell you, but you ne never should have taken this job in the first place. I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, this program's like was doomed from the start, literally. And I go, oh God, I was duped. You know, in a way I felt like I was duped for for months on end and we were all spinning our wheels and he even saw it goes, this program makes no sense. And I, I guess what I could say is I was right all along, meaning the program could not stand in its own two legs. It made no sense to do so. But again, what I found out later is basically some corporate higher up at Xerox said, this has to happen. And it trickled all the way down to the dealers where I worked at one dealer. And uh, it just, it, it was, it was a bankrupt program, meaning that it was not successful on its own merit. So, so you had to face the consequences while somebody five or six levels up at Xerox really did. They're like, oh, it didn't work. Oh, right. It, oh, it, it probably did not affect them. I, I don't know who it was specifically, but it probably didn't affect them to the point where they may have just, you know, regrouped or hid somewhere or did a blame transfer or something happened at that point. But, you know, it wound up you know, terminating myself and several other people around the same time, too. But what was interesting about it is that day it was a very, very cold January day. People who may remember several years ago when the polar vortex came through, as they called it, I mean, 20, 30 below zero in the Midwest. It was exceptionally cold weather-wise, too. Many, for many, many days. Yes. yes, many. I think it was a week, like a full week of just bitterly mm -hmm. cold weather. It was the happiest ride I had in my life on the way home because I'm like, I, I just, I didn't like the job at that point too because I knew it was no chance of success. I had effectively just, you know, at best the wrong direction or if I want to be, a, you know, call cynical, there was in the way. But that idiot thing kind of ties into this, you know, coming back to the commercial real estate side of during this time, I had, I had heard because again, our, in our family, they had some commercial property ownership. I was helping them on the side and I was going, hmm. This is, it's kind of interesting. I kind of like this commercial thing. I learned about leasing and leases and you know, everything that's entailed within the sphere of the profession, you know, from a, from a higher level standpoint. And, you know, the day that I basically had left, I had contacted, you know, back and said, Hey, what is, Jer you know, kind of like looking going, well, maybe Jeremiah's got an opening here too. Cause I heard from Jeremiah's name kind of through the ether, through, uh, you know, through, through uh, relationships down in Florida. 
And, uh, you know, what I had done is I basically, you know, kind of went back to my house and I'm kind of relieved that like, I'm not working with Xerox anymore, but I got in contact with Jeremiah and it just so happened. He goes, yes, I have, I got an opening here. You want in. And, you know, I was at a point of my, my personal life of like, you know, I've always wanted to go to Florida and, you know, with these pitfalls that have happened on the professional state, I'm like, you know what, this is it. I'm in, <laughs> I'm in at that point. Albeit, I still did try to get a job again in the IT sales in Chicago, just to kind of see where it was. And as fate had put it, I had multiple interviews. I made it to the third step and then radio silence, dead. No, no callbacks, no nothing from people, just dead, cut you off, ne you know, never to be heard from again. So it's kind of weird after having three interviews with multiple companies that you get zero feedback out of it. So I'm like, you know what? This is a sign from the, you know, Connor alluded to earlier, kind of a sign from the universe of things that have happened. Like, okay, time for me to go at that point. So, you know, I had contacted Jeremiah. He said, hey, get your license and get going on here. So I signed up for the state required class for real estate in Florida, signed up for that, took the class for a hard week, took my exam, and then uh, went through my state exam, passed that on the first try. Like Connor said too, it's just, you want to pass it once and one and done on your first try. And about five days later, I packed up my car and I drove to Florida, you know, and, and started the, the new life at that point. Before we get into the next segment, we wanted to let you know you're listening to Getting Down to Business with Mark Mondo on WVLP 103.1 FM, a community radio station out of Valparaiso, Indiana. Thanks for listening and let's continue. But uh, you know, to kind of go back to the, the you know, to the, the spirit of the show here, it was, you know, why? Why did this all happen? Well, I was kind of tired of being like misdirected from other people that didn't really have an impact in their life. Like, you know, like me, I, you know, being fired, no money. I mean, this is, you know, personally a financial tragedy on my end of not getting income. But for them, it was just like, oh, well, you know, I'll go hire somebody else or I'll just go get another corporate job or something like that. It was, it was minimum impact to them and, it, and a devastating impact for me. Well, I, I couldn't have that anymore. You know, that was like the end of my rope of going, how can I let somebody else lead the direction of my life when I'm I'm perfectly capable of doing so? But, you know, and when you have a job, you're kind of subject to somebody else's whim or somebody else's direction or, you know, something that could either have a, a benefit to you, but more most often it has some kind of detriment to you because everyone's looking out for their own, uh, everyone's looking out for their own skin, right? They want to save themselves. And they could throw you under the bus real easy, which, you know, during these, these endeavors happened a few times. And I couldn't allow that to happen anymore. So looking at this uh, commercial real estate side, you know, there's a, it's, it's, it's scary in a way of, hey, you're going out on your own. There's no salary. There's nobody telling you what to do. You have to be self-generating. You have to go out and figure it out <laughs> for your own. All right. So here we are. Matt? I want to talk about the story arc. You've hit the bottom career-wise. I remember this. This was tough to watch. Yeah. I was trying to connect you to people and all my connections were just turned out to be rubbish. Yes. So you're at the end of the fiscal rope. Yes. And now you're going to get in a covered wagon, kind of like Oregon Trail, right? Yes. And you're going to take the, it's still in our family, the 2006 Jetta. Yep. <laughs> it. It it just has essentially a decent working car with new tires, and that's what you got. Yep. Yep. And it was a you know a little maybe maybe a minor step above Connor's car at that point. <laughs> and let's also talk about the support network you have now. I want to impose 
the belief or at least prove my point where you're not Horatio Alger and you just walk in and everything happens. Who's this Jeremiah guy and how did this Jeremiah guy get into our lives? Sure. So uh, you know, Jeremiah is currently is our, our broker. Uh, Deb Connor and I both work for, it, 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 it's kind of weird, right? We're our, our own independent companies, but we have to work under a broker from a legal standpoint. So effectively, Jeremiah is kind of like our boss, if you will, what, you know, when it comes to the, uh, the real estate hierarchy. Uh, Jeremiah actually started about 20 years ago. So I guess, you know, go back a few years, about 15 years prior. And that's all he did was learn, you know, how real estate works. It was this one focus kind of from professional day one and, you know, ended up building a very successful, call it like a boutique branch of commercial real estate within um, a localized market. And, you know, from him, he had kind of come in and said, well, you know, there's a, he eventually handed me a piece of paper and says, here's how your life's going to be for the next three or four years at that point. And what they showed is like, hey, get out there and you just got to hustle, 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 and then hustle more. Like you live, breathe real estate for the next 12 months. And for those next 12 months, you're going to be not broke, but pretty damn near broke <laughs> at that point too, because you you have to do all the things that, that are needed to be able to get a self-sustaining career, meaning make connections with people. You know, the, the, the items that Connor alluded to, to earlier, make connections with people, know your territory, know where you are, know where things are moving. You got to like learn all that and kind of learn it in a hurry too. So live and breathe it for quite a while because you're going to be on for this ride. And, you know, it was kind of a quasi area where you had the support of, of Jeremiah. Hey, I got questions. Can you help me with this? Can you give me guidance? Can you give me direction? Yes to all those, you know, to those questions. But a lot of it was also just self-learning too. Like, hey, get out there, you know, be, they push you into the street, knock on doors, go meet people, go meet owners at that point. Hey, I'm in commercial real estate, you know, just looking to see what you're doing. You know, can I help you lease or manage or something with your property? That's that's what it is. You get on the street, learn on your own. You don't have anybody. You don't have a manager telling you what to do at that point. You have to be self-directed and, and kind of your own self-fulfilling prophecy at that point, because the work you put in is the work you're going to get back out of it too. So for the first year, effectively, that's what you know we were doing is just out there trying to figure the territory, figure what's going on. Uh, you know, and, and hopefully you get some deals involved there too. You know, Hopefully somebody says, yeah, I could use you for a small lease or something like that. And you pick up a few hundred dollars here or a few hundred dollars there to keep you sustaining. But what was interesting is that uh, I'll use Jeremiah's, you know, paper prophecy sheet was he goes, look, you work hard for a year and, you know, come month 13, things are going to start happening. And like magic, it did after my first year, for some reason, the, the August month 13, things started happening. My phone started ringing. I started getting phone calls. I had people asking me, hey, you talked to me a few months ago. I'm thinking about doing A, B, and C. Can you help me out with that? And it just started to, to, to work. It all started to gel together. Those efforts of communicating with people started to gel. And I'm going, huh, that's that's pretty amazing. Like not only did this, you know, the sheet kind of like tell all of what would happen, but these efforts that you put in on your own versus just having, you know, fulfilling a, a job. Right? You do this, you get paid, you go home at five o'clock, call it a day. But in this world, it's it's of the entrepreneurship, is you got to put in the efforts. And if you put in those efforts, you receive the reward. It almost sounds diluted kind of in our culture right now. Like you hear it all the time. It's like, okay, mom and dad, whatever you say. But the reality is, yes, the more you, the more we put out there in the universe, the more calls, the more connections, the more Connor and I talk to each other about things. All these networks kind of interweave together and all of a sudden business starts happening. So year two, 
I'm getting phone calls back. I'm getting answers. I'm getting more signs out there. I'm getting more visibility. People say, hey, I see your name out there. You're that Matt guy. Da, da, da. That goes with Oh, it. talking about signs. Yes. I, I wasn't think we there, do yes. Yes. Wasn't there a billboard or something? You made a stand. I will not have myself on a billboard. Well, yeah, with exceptions. <laughs> so tell us about that. Tell us about, so you, I want to hear what I love to hear about this. I really, so you're starting off with zero. You have a support group. You yes. have a hand up, but not a handout. And I want to get that theme in there. The hand up was, hey, Jeremiah mentoring you. You got family for an emotional support system. Yes. yes. Is there anybody else that I don't know of? Well, I'll make, you know, let me, let me reiterate there. I make that very clear. You know, family was always a constant through everything here. You know, it wasn't just like, hey, everyone turned their back on you. Da, da, da. Family was always constant to, you know, help out to say, hey, you know, I was able to, you know, stay with my dad for a bit when I first went to Florida before getting out of my own place. I was able to get, you know, like even Jeremiah would throw, hey, uh, I'm a little busy. Why don't you handle this lease here? I'll throw you a few dollars. So it was always like a little bit of a hand here, not only from a financial standpoint, but from a, a reward, you know, of, of knowledge. And at that point too, okay, I learned a little bit on this deal. I learned a bit on that deal. You know, you're always kind of in a trial by fire with that. But one nice thing on, at least in our world of commercial real estate, is visibility of signage. We put a sign out there. It says, you know, for sale, for lease, Matt Mondo, Connor Mackin, phone number. That's our, our ticket right there, right? That we have a sign out there. And now we have a visibility to the public about, hey, I saw your sign. I'm interested in this. Can you can you tell me more about it? That That's our, that's our you know, kind of our brass ring <laughs> in our industry here. But... One thing that kind of that Mark alluded to that uh, happened is uh, our, our broker, you know, he he's also a developer. He invests in his own properties, you know, buys property, develops it, sells it, you know, continues on those cycles is that he also purchased a, a billboard for income producing, but also in that time converted it into what a lot of people see as a digital billboard. It's the electronic ones you drive by, you see the messages, you know, change on them every few seconds especially if it's near a traffic light, you get stopped there and you kind of like, you know, just kind of looking around waiting for the light to change and like, oh, there's the billboard. Oh, look, they're having a sale, you know, at JCPenney's or something like that. But what was nice is because he was the ownership of the billboard, he obviously got to take revenue paying clients on there, but we could also promote our own internal brand, if you will. So kind of the, the, the crowning achievement of that was I had sold a, a particular property that this billboard laid on. And I was the like the, the first member, if you will, uh, with I think Connor being a close second, is I did have, even though I swore I wouldn't do it, I got my name, I got my picture up there, my phone number, and it said, you know, Big Soul, this plaza by Matt Mondo. And it was the plaza that was right above, or in this case, right below where the billboard stood. <laughs> so kind of a neat, you know, and, and that passerby, that saw 80,000 cars a day passing by it. And it happened to be, again, by a traffic light, a lot of people stopped at night and saw you know, yours truly flashing and lights up out there. But again, that was able to promote our visibility of, hey, these are people in your community that can help you with your with the commercial real estate needs. So, so what skills did you have to take in that, you know, IT is a different skill set. I'm more inclined to IT than sales if I had to put it on a teeter-totter. Sure. I'm, I'm getting a little more in the marketing and sales inclination, but you had to have a, a change in mind from tech slash employee to what skills are you developing? Connor alluded to developing trust and developing relationships. And maybe the, and I'm maybe feeding the answers here 
too much, but is it about one thing I admired about your work when you're dealing with the Rico stuff was you took rejection like a champ. I think most <laughs> people would just, I would just capitulate. You know what? I'm done. I'm out. You know, I would just, and I, cause I did the boiler room in 1996, but boy, to do what you did at Rico and have that thick skin, uh, you know, tell us more about that and that, how that skill translated to that first really tough year. Sure. I think, uh, I, I guess I'd say this, to not reiterate, you know, Connor did a great job of kind of taking where those skill set is. But the one thing on the, called the different side from tech to real estate is that, you know, technology was something kind of everybody had. They had some of it. They had a lot of it. You know, there's a lot of people beating down the door of like, I can sell you something better than this. I can do this. I can do this for you better, cheaper, faster, whatever the case was. Oh, like a CRM? Like a CRM. I try to do? Yeah. yeah maybe a CRM or something like that, right? Real estate is, I almost say it's like personal to that individual, right? You know, in, in our world of commercial real estate, somebody has a property, one of two things is happening to that property. Even if it's an owner user, meaning like somebody will buy it and start their business and run their business out of it, or it's an investment for somebody. They buy it, they rent it out to a tenant, they make an income out of it. That value to somebody is, in a lot of cases, is their life. This is how they generate an income. So if you come in and say, hey, I can help you A, B, and C on this property. I can help you manage it and make more money on it. I can help you lease it, maybe get a better rate for people so you make a little more income or a better tenancy. Or, hey, I can help you get out of this property. We can flip it into something that's going to make you even more money. That value to that person not only is it personal to them because you know you're dealing directly with the owner, right? Not a manager, not some you know bumbling guy in the middle of everything there too. It's direct from you to the owner. And if you can provide that kind of value to an owner, it, it goes leaps and bounds. You know, going on a personal story with that, I helped a client. He had a property. He had bought it originally for six hundred thousand dollars. I sold it for one point two five million. We flipped that 1.25 million into another property, bought it for 2.4 million. We flipped that property, sold it for $2.6 million. And this all happened the span of two years. So effectively, you said, yeah, you have a success story to show somebody you started off with 600 and we turned it into 2 million more dollars in two years. That's going to get somebody's attention. <laughs> you know, you can do that for an owner. You have a tremendous value to that person. And, and, you know, you've made them effectively seven figures. I mean, people don't make $2 million a whole life sometimes. And you could do that for somebody in two years. The value of your service is insurmountable. And that's where I think, you know, a lot of, specifically the commercial real estate or whatever, whatever you do as an entrepreneur, if you provide that value to somebody, I mean, you're, you're in, you're gold to them at that point, because nobody wants, you know, I, I effectively kind of think of it as like, you know, paying a tax, you pay a tax, your money goes somewhere, right? It goes into space. Who knows? It, it gets mismanaged. You have no control over that. But if you can help somebody control the outcome of where their financial being is, it, it, the value is insurmountable at that point. You know, whether it's in CRM, commercial real estate, something like that, that's where you've got the, the hook into somebody. You build up that value. You build up that trust. And you effectively could be, hey, they could be a client of yours for life. You could be like, hey, we work with each other for 20 years now or something like that. So you have an opportunity for repeat business. Yes. It's not um, like this guy's one and done, one, or lady, one and done. I've effectively sold a, a building twice already. <laughs> you know, a property I sold a client last year. We're, we're In fact, we're closing this Wednesday. He had bought it for X amount of dollars. And in a year, he's making 50% more money than he bought it for in one year's time. 
those kind of values, if you can demonstrate it to somebody and they go, wow, you did that for somebody else. Can you help me out? Yes, we can <laughs> at that point. But you know, to, to, to translate it back on the entrepreneur side, I could have never have done this having a job. It, it never, never in a million years, because you're at a job, you have a function. And if your function is to just, you know, sell A or move B or push C, that's your function at this point. Entrepreneurship gives you a freedom to just develop into a million different facets that you never would have thought even possible. I, I believe Connor even alluded to earlier on one building, we got four transactions out of one building, a sale, two, two sales and two leases on one building, all effectively within months of each other. That's tremendous opportunity. And in this case, commercial real estate lent itself to it. But that doesn't mean it can't happen in other uh, fields as well. But entrepreneurship is your, your binding universal at, at, attribute to be able to do this. Working for a job, it's never going to allow you that opportunity. Entrepreneurship, all the time. Well, I know that you're at the happiest you've ever been since I've known you. And that's been over oh, yeah. 10 years. Oh, and yes. I can just tell <laughs> because you're allowed to use all of your gifts and talents for this new career. And it just makes me happy that you're so successful no, and I happy in it. it. I appreciate that. And yes, you're, you're absolutely right. I wake up every day going, hey, going to be a good day today. I can go out. I can get this done. I can talk to this person. I can meet with them. I can, most things are, are happy. You know, there's, there's, don't get me wrong, plenty of stressful times. I mean, if I don't have a property to list, I'm not going to get, a, I'm not going to be able to get paid tomorrow. Or to, It'll be more difficult because representing the buyer is more difficult than representing the seller, as I understand it. And for um, those in the audience. Yeah, I mean, I guess it can be right because if you got a buy, I mean, a buyer, you know, has has a purpose, right? They need to buy. They may have a time crunch to buy something, and if you can help them buy something, uh, like I said, with Connor you know, alluded to earlier, he was able to help a client out, and that client's been a great buyer for him for you know for multiple transactions. You build that trust, uh, and they go out and they, hey, I have the need to buy stuff to increase my income. You can help them with that. Win win for everybody at that point. But you know, back to what Cynthia said. Yes, I wake up every day going, "Hey, I can do something good today. I'm not going to get beat up by a uh, you know a manager who's upset with me, and you know he's upset with me because you know I may influence his his bonus by five hundred dollars or something like that for the year. I'm not going to get you know that kind of attitude. Whereas I can go out and make my own decisions, my own. Hey, I need to go do this today, or how is my time best spent? You know, today or with this client or something like that. Uh, it's all within your control, and you know, having a job very much limits you to doing so. One more kind of interesting aspect about, you know, specific to commercial real estate that I remember, you know, in a, in a career, let's say I had, you know, four good sales in a row in, in a week or something like that. The, you know, the owner might get mad, like I'm paying this guy too much money. You know, hey, he made a whole bunch, of, he's making too much money off me. In commercial real estate, I can have, and I've had three transactions in one week. But those three transactions were three completely separate people, three different entities. They didn't know about each other. I had a you know a very good income week, but it wasn't like I was robbing quote unquote somebody's one person's pocket. It came from three different people's pockets. So did in other words, Jeremiah, who is the managing broker, mm -hmm. he didn't come in there and say, you know what, you're being too successful. I don't Correct. want that. Correct. I'm going to take some of your commission rates away. <laughs> He'll come in and say, why did you, you have six people this week? <laughs> but at least he's doing that out of jest because he, he wants you to succeed too because he's only paid when you get paid. Correct. We, we in our, our senses, we cut a portion back to the brokerage for overhead and also for the broker to make an income as well. 
And, you know, if we're successful, the more successful we are, the more successful he is. And it's it's a perfect hand and glove scenario versus you're taking money away. All we do is contribute to the pot at that point. So again, in this particular, in, in commercial real estate, it's kind of a reverse from other, other fields out there. But at the end of the day, it's still the same thing. The more successful we are, the more successful he is and, and, and vice versa at that point too. And, you know, for myself and for Connor and other agents, you know, we're working for not only ourselves, but we're working directly for a client or an owner in that case, not some, you know, boss that's just going to give you a hard time because, you know, they have a power trip or something like that. Or what we're experiencing in our industry in software and in the CRM world, if you're owned by, if you're owned by a private equity firm, they're wanting their, their pound of flesh before yours. Yes. So it's an, it becomes dogs fighting for bones. If yes. There, if, if you have different layers in the way. So we're getting closer towards the end of the hour, but not quite there yet. But how would you, if someone wanted to get into commercial real estate, A, how would you mentor somebody? And B, what skills do they really need to get started? I, I, I would, starting with the latter, I think from a skill set, you need, you need two things. You need, you need your own self drive, right? I can't teach you drive. I can't put that fire in your belly, so to speak. You have to be able to wake up and be a self-driven person. You know, many people out there, let's say they have a government job, right? They wake up, they know exactly what they have to do today. They have to punch it at nine. They have to, you know, rubber stamp a bunch of papers. They leave for lunch at 12. They come back at one. They close it. They leave at five, not 501, five o'clock, and they're done with their day. Uh, somebody like that, you know, I would say would not have a good chance of succeeding in this. Someone who would succeed has to come in with that fire in their belly and be, to be motivated to go do those things that day. Uh, and then not only today, tomorrow, the next day, Friday, Saturday, doesn't matter. Uh, but they have to have that fire within them to want to start up and to succeed on their own. Uh, second thing they have to have is uh, communication skills. You know, you can't be timid. You can't be like afraid. It's kind of like a situation instead of like me calling, going, uh, gee, Mark, would you like to buy this toner from me? You know, like I'm, I'm asking for your business. In a lot of cases, most real estate representatives are there to help somebody. Hey, my name is Matt. You're an owner. You know, I'm just kind of curious what you're doing with your property. Are you buying? Are you selling? Do you need help managing? You could be there as a resource for somebody. You're not there just trying to take money out of their pocket or, you know, try to flim flam them into some kind of like, you know, uh, you know, oh, you got to buy this or here's the, you know, here's the information. It's 20% off. It's 20% off. You'd be stupid not to buy this or something like that. In real estate, you're coming in as a, an automatic value to somebody. They know how to come in, or, or let me rephrase that. They uh, they understand you're coming in, not just to sit there and say, oh yeah, I can uh, take your money at that point. No, you're coming in that, hey, I could potentially sell your property uh, or I can even lease your property and get you even more income, things like that. But you have to know, it's not even saying you have to know how to talk to the person. You just have to know and, and how to start a conversation with somebody. Be casual. Hey, how you doing? My name is Matt. You know, commercial agency. Don't know if you work with anybody. What's going on with your property now? You know, is there any way we can talk about this and just have a discussion? Okay. Start right there because I want to end it with a great story. Sure. Your story, not mine. Uh, we have to remember, if you didn't get to this through part one, tell us about how you went to Mar-a-Lago and one of your <laughs> colleagues tried to sell the owner of said Mar-a-Lago on real estate. <laughs> and talk about that that no fear factor. And I think that'd be a great way to start wrapping up our, our story. 
Sure. So the, just the, the 30 second introduction here with that. Um, uh, a very good client in our office. Uh, you know, Mar-a-Lago really is is a, is a club, if you will. And he had a his son had a birthday party and said, "Hey, having it at Mar-a-Lago, it's kind of their end of the year." function, if you will, would love to have you guys there. And it's like, heck yeah, we're going to go to Mariago. Why not? I mean, it's a, kind of like a once in a lifetime, maybe twice in a lifetime thing, but it was an opportunity for us to go there and, you know, mingle and have some fun. So effectively we go down there, we go to the party, uh, met nothing but nice, great people there. I uh, had a buffet, like you wouldn't believe uh, views that were just out of this world. I mean, you know, stuff you just kind of read about, but we were there personally experiencing it. And it was myself, Connor, and a few other of our, our cohorts joined us too. We all had a great time. But uh, two of our cohorts, and Connor back, uh, helped me make, make sure I remember this properly too, they were kind of scouting around as uh, you know, former President Trump was on site yep. too in our lago. Uh, they were uh, kind of scouting around and trying to basically slip a little business card in, uh, in somebody's uh, pocket there, you know, un, 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 unfazed with fear and all that. And basically... Uh, they were politely stopped and said, hey, guys, not today. <laughs> by, by I would call the uh, secretist of services at that point. But you know, <laughs> to kind of go back with that, I mean, just a no fear mentality of I'm going to drop my business card in his pocket. You never know what might happen out of it. But that's the type of person, you know, in entrepreneurship, commercial real estate, whatever the case might be, that's a spirit you need to go into. You can't go in fear and timid and what if they don't like me? Doesn't matter. Go out there. Some people are going to like you. Some people are not. You're going to make friends at some point. All right. Perfect. So we're reaching towards the end of the hour here. And I'd like to thank Cynthia for keeping us on the level and on time today. You're very welcome. And I'd like to say thank you to Connor and Matt for this really great two-part series on commercial real estate. If you missed some of the show today, you can listen to the replay on Thursday at 1 p.m. Central Time on WVLP 103.1 FM or live stream at www.wvlp.org. And we store the past shows on Mark's website at www.mondocrm.com forward slash podcasts, where you can listen to the podcast on your favorite app at any time. We're listed in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, and Podbean. Just search for Mark Mondo and the show will come up and you can subscribe to the show for the latest updates. Thank you very much for spending time with us today. And we'll see you next week.